Hey, Alex, it's recording day two, what do you think? <laughs> oh, it's exciting. Yeah. Still, the, we got through the first couple episodes pretty well, so moving yeah. along, moving along. Excited for our guest today. I am, actually. Uh, I quite like Brian. We've been doing some work with his organization and the Supplier Diversity Alliance Council, SDAC, uh, for the last year or so, so we've got to know him a little bit and uh, get to know his sense of humor, but I hadn't met him in person until just a few months ago, and it was sort of an interesting circumstance because we, we regularly meet uh, with different members of parliament to talk to them about uh, certification as a diverse supplier. We want it included in uh, the uh, government, federal government's current procurement policy that they're putting together. So, mm-hmm. so we're always having these Zoom calls. And so we had one member who was not interested in a Zoom call. He wanted something in person. And it was in Ottawa. And I just happened to be leaving from Mont-Tremblant. So I thought I would stop in Ottawa. But in Mont-Tremblant, I was visiting a close family member who was very, very ill uh, and has since passed away. So oh, I met up in Ottawa. We ended up going to Ottawa uh, and met up with, um, with Brian uh, the next morning to I think it was, no, it was later that same day. We traveled from Mont Tremblant and then I got to the hotel and changed as always. And, then, <laughs> and then I met, and then I went and met him, walked over and met him. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm flustered. And, and so of course he made the mistake of asking me how I was. And so I immediately started to cry because I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I tried to give him a little bit, a little bit of a description of what was going on. And, you know, I basically wound up saying, you know, listen, I'm, I'm emotionally, well, and the other thing is, is when I get stressed, my whole body kind of explodes. So nothing was fitting and I was super uncomfortable and I was like swollen up. And so anyway, so, so poor Brian, this is the first time we meet and, uh, and this is my reaction. And so I, you know, I said, I'm, I'm emotionally and physically like a total mess, but you know, intellectually, I still have it going on. So we should, we should be all right for this meeting. <laughs> so it was great. We had a lovely walk. And, and then we ended up going not right to Parliament Hill, but to another government building. So we had to go through some level of security. Uh, okay. And I noticed that my bag was, they were spending a little bit more time on the bag that I had. And I thought, oh, I, I know why they're doing this. And so I just went up to this one of the security people and said, are you finding like a little, like a, exclamation mark shaped piece of metal and she's like yeah we are what is that I, I said it's it's my pipe for smoking, <laughs> <laughs> smoking cannabis because uh, I you know I have PTSD and so I your ways that I manage it and I had anxiety from that whole week and so I had brought that with me uh, on the walk so that I could sort of <laughs> mellow out my nerves and so they they wound up being quite interested in the whole thing and, and wanted oh, to good. take it apart and it, it's kind of a, a unique one with a case and it it closes and it's magnetic. And so they had never seen one like that before, but it was kind of a fun chat. And then, but Brian is standing there like, what is with this woman? I really this hope she like pull this meeting up. Brian? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we met on Zoom calls and I've been in meetings with MPs before. So he knows I can, you know, uh, hold it together, but I can only imagine how he must have been feeling by auspicious <laughs> beginnings. <laughs> yes, but I guess these are the things we have to do to manage our, our anxieties oh. and our mental health. And Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. it's well, it's good that the security was uh, uh, very uh, understanding about it. I know. I yeah, it turned out to be kind of fun, and and thankfully I had gotten bribed to agree to a podcast prior to that event, like on the walk <laughs> after the tears, but before the pot, and so <laughs> and so he was you know beholden to me, and so thankfully he's here, and let's let him in and and start the show. Brian, how are you? I'm doing very well, and yourself? 
Good, thanks. Oh, and you've got a suit jacket on. I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was I was having a, a bad hair day, so I decided to compensate with the suit. <laughs> you got to distract from the bad hair. With the yeah, I've been there. I add a little makeup in too, just to go with. <laughs> so I just want to let you know we're already recording. Alex and I have a little bit of a chit chat prior to the podcast. Uh, so I really I want to thank you so much for being here. I was uh, telling Alex and Alex, um, thanks so much for the chit chat. We'll, uh, if you can hop off the screen. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Brian, it's very nice to meet face to face. We're very excited to have you. Yes, Alex is the one you've been communicating back and forth with for the last uh, two weeks or so. Yeah, I'll Um, uh, I'll make my way back to behind the scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Alex. I I was just telling Alex and uh, and Andrew, who's our podcast producer, about our initial uh, meeting in person and and the tears and the pot pipe and you must have just been shaking your (laughs) head. Not at all, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, I I really want to thank you uh, for being here and welcome to our IWSCC show on sort of all things supplier diversity and uh, brought to you by Remote Video, who's producing the, the podcast and also uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that there are ASL uh, interpretation is here as well, and that's been provided by uh, Maple Communications Canada. So we're really happy to have both of these companies who are diversely owned, by the way. They are a part of the IWSCC uh, Diverse Supplier Membership, and so we're really happy to, to walk our talk. Um, and I just want to take a minute to introduce myself. I've mentioned IWSCC a couple of times, and that's Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. And what we do is um, we find businesses that are owned by veterans or people with disabilities that that want to do business with large corporations in Canada. And we we put them through a certification process, just essentially shows that they are at least 51% owned, operated and controlled by that diverse person. And of course, we look for the proof of either disability or, or veteran status. There's a bit more paperwork to it than that. Uh, but that's what we do. And then we take uh, these uh, suppliers and we introduce them to Corporate Canada, who has a specific interest in diversifying their supply chain. Uh, and that's kind of what IWSCC does. So um, I wanted to just, Brian, if you could take a minute and introduce yourself. Now, listen, I took a look at your bio online and I mean, I was already impressed with you with the work that you're doing and you're leading the work this time around and you're doing such a great job. I'm going to get you to talk about that work a little bit later, but I wanted you to, to you know what, brag a little bit about yourself and some <laughs> of the stuff that you have done. Tell us about Brian and, and what is it that you're doing now? But I'd love to hear a bit about what you've done in the past because it's very cool from my perspective. Thank you, thank you very much, Deidre, and thank you for having me on on the podcast. It's truly a it's truly a pleasure. Uh, my name is Brian Detchu. I'm a consultant, a government relations consultant at uh, Crestview Strategy. Uh, prior to that, uh, long time uh, staffer on the Hill. Uh, my journey began as a as a page uh, at the House of Commons uh, in 2013, almost 10 years ago, and after that, I went on to work for the Speaker of the House of Commons the usher of the Black Rod at the Senate. I've also worked for uh, a senator. I've worked internationally at the ICC, the International Criminal Court. Uh, so those are some of my career experiences and some of the the, uh, the background that I've brought to uh, to my work at Crestview, some of the uh, knowledge and experience that I've brought in uh, in my role at Crestview. And so far, uh, it's been it's been wonderful. How, how long have you worked at Crestview? Uh, I've been at Crestview. It's almost my one year anniversary, actually. I think oh. I began uh, May 19th. Uh, oh, 
2021. So I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but by then perhaps I would have uh, passed the one year at Crestview. Passed the one year. So you pretty much your entire time with Crestview, you've been dealing with us folk at the Supplier Diversity Alliance Canada. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. No, not that. Yeah, I think uh, the SDAC was actually one of my one of my first clients. Before yeah, the first yeah. I was onboarding. <laughs> well, that's great. I, I'm so thrilled to have you working with us because, I mean, we all just love it and we love having you there and, and you're so effective at what you do. Um, we're excited about uh, something called a day on the hill that you've really been instrumental in putting together. So maybe can you explain a little bit more about it from your perspective? And then I'll just add maybe a bit from ours if, if need be. I'd love to hear it in your words. Of course. Uh, so what we've been organizing in a, is an advocacy day. So of course, when we uh, reach out to these different offices on the hill and we and we engage with them in different uh, over the course of the year, uh, those are, are are one way of engaging with uh, elected officials or or, or um, public servants. Uh, a day on the hill. Uh, allows us to focus our efforts and uh, hit many birds with one stone, have many people in the same room at the same time, uh, engage in different discussions. Uh, and of course, uh, one thing that uh, has been a reality in our engagement in the last year has been the pandemic, which has meant that uh, for the most part, I would say 98% of our meetings have been uh, virtual meetings, uh, which are good and allow for for meaningful dialogue, but nothing truly replaces uh, in person uh, in person meetings and the connections that you can have once you meet someone in person. And Deidre, I think the the first time that you and I met in person, we had a meeting with an MP, and you saw uh, the difference between yes. uh, a virtual meeting and an in person meeting. That meeting ended up lasting uh, perhaps well over an hour, uh, yeah. and you're you're able to speak about the topics that you. Uh, went in hoping to speak about, but also uh, 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 different different subjects, and you're not uh, looking at your clock because you have maybe a, a a short meeting, another meeting that you have to hop on at the at, yeah. the, at the top of the hour. Uh, so a, a day on the hill allows us to uh, meet several people, and in this instance, uh, meet several people in person. Uh, so uh, meet new faces and re-engage with people that we've already discussed with um, in person. So they're, they're always fun. I know that uh, whether it's stakeholders or MPs or staffers, everyone truly enjoys um, uh, those meetings. If not for the meaningful dialogue, then at least for the, for the free food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm there if there's food. If there's food, count me and I'll be there if no questions asked. Especially if it's not food I typically eat. I'm always interested in having food just like outside the box for me, uh, which actually the box is getting larger and larger. But <laughs> So I'm kind of with the cart before the horse there because I want you to talk about uh, how supplier diversity has sort of intersected with what you do. And I think in there also there'll be uh, some further information about what it is you're doing specifically for the Supplier Diversity Alliance Canada. Uh, and I should mention that the Supplier Diversity Alliance Canada uh, is a group that um, is uh, made up of four members uh, that are Supplier Diversity Councils. So there is Canadian Aboriginal and Minority Supplier Council that we've referred to in previous podcasts. We've had Cassandra Dorrington as a guest. Uh, there's WBE Canada, Women Business Enterprise Canada. And again, we had Catherine Gross from there as a, a guest as well. And then there is the Canadian uh, Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce or CGLCC. And um, we had, uh, we haven't had them as a guest yet, but we absolutely plan to. So we just, um, 
that we are we're together as a group and we work uh, on advocacy, we work on research and we work on outreach. So advocacy, Brian, I'll get you to talk about shortly about outreach uh, is outreach to suppliers and corporate members who are interested in learning more about supplier diversity. So we're traveling to the East Coast in, uh, in early June and then we're traveling to the West Coast later on in June. So certainly reach out to your, to your supply council if you're a supplier and you can always reach out to IWSCC uh, if you're looking for more information on these events that we're running. I put the cart before the horse in that you've talked about one of the things that you're doing on behalf of Supplier Diversity Alliance Council uh, of Canada, sorry. And so I'd like to just bring this back around to that. So how does supplier diversity sort of intersect with what it is you're doing at Crestview and, and of course for us? I, I would say that um, uh, for us, our job is not to be the subject matter expert. Uh, that's where you come in. Uh, our job is to understand uh, your issues, understand your goals, understand, and, and uh, try to build uh, a strategy to help you achieve those those goals. So I've I've learned a lot uh, uh, through our biweekly meetings and um, <clears throat> being on these calls with with yourself and your colleagues with uh, different uh, government stakeholders about supplier diversity because I cannot claim to have been an expert prior to our engagement, uh, nor can I claim to be an expert now. Uh, but uh, I've obviously learned I've learned a lot. But uh, our role is always to be uh, to be that bridge, to be the bridge between um, uh, associations, organizations, non for profits, and government. So uh, allowing the two to uh, whether it's to facilitate communication or uh, create a better understanding, um, improve policy. Uh, improve programs, which I would say it has been uh, the bulk of our of our work. There has been uh, some some education, but I would say uh, some of our main goals have been around improving policy and programs. Uh, so th that is uh, where we come in. That's where um, I myself, as a government relations consultant, and my colleagues at Crestview in the GR branch of our firm, uh, would interact with um, the SDAC. All right, great, and so. Yeah, I mean, as much as uh, it pains me to get up so early on Friday morning, and you know, for most, for many people, it's not early, but I am, I am not one of those uh, early morning people, and I'm Neither learning from a podcast, uh, a podcast that Andrew, our producer, has his own podcast show, and I was listening to one in the last couple of days about sleep, and I'm told you don't have to be a morning person; it's not necessary. Some people are morning people, and some people aren't. So I'm going to no longer feel guilty about that and continue to complain about the early meetings. <laughs> I, so, I, I am, I am the same. I'm the same. Okay. It got me through all my degrees in university. So you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I'm a night <laughs> owl and <laughs> I'm no longer going to be ashamed about it. Good, good. Maybe we should have an uprising at the SDAC meetings. <laughs> well, we have, I think between us, we have two out of what, two out of five votes. I think we yeah, just need one more close. person in. It's got to swing, so swing vote. <laughs> Yeah, which actually kind of brings me maybe to my next subject. I'm curious, uh, although I know about it, I'd like to hear from your perspective, what is lobbying and, and how do you do it? Like, what, why do people do it? Uh, very good question. I think perhaps... A definition of lobbying would be uh, the act of uh, legally attempting to uh, persuade uh, government to um, uh, act a certain way or change policies um, uh, or legislation. Uh, so it's it's an it's a legal act of persuasion uh, is perhaps how I would describe it at uh, at a high level. Um, 
in terms of what we do, uh, what we do is we we engage with government. Um, we help organizations, non for profits, associations, NGOs uh, engage with government. Uh, that can only be done with an effective strategy. If you uh, hope to achieve any goal when it comes to uh, changing policies or engaging with government, you have to have a strategy. Uh, that is the most important part. Otherwise, you have your chances of success are very minimal. <clears throat> so I would say that's, <clears throat> apologies, that's where we come in. Uh, in terms of why people um, lobby, different reasons. It Again, it can be for uh, a change of policy, a change of program, uh, wanting the government to uh, act a, a certain way or change their behavior. Um, and I would say that there are a lot of groups who <clears throat> historically perhaps have not had as much of a relationship with government. I think that we're, we're used to seeing um, an, government announcements made with some big name companies, big name firms. Right. I think we're used to seeing that, but I think there's a lot of groups that perhaps don't even know uh, that they can engage with government yes. or don't even know how to engage with government. And I know that's, that's something that um, I knew long before I, I joined Cressu and I guess this side of the uh, policy making machine. Um, and at my time um, um, at the Senate and even in my personal life, I know of many small groups that perhaps don't see themselves represented in government and in, in policy and programs. And they want change, uh, but they're not sure how to do it. And they perhaps they think that the only way to do it is to have uh, the coffers of a huge right. Fortune 500 company, because that's the only way to, that's the only way to do it. And um, perhaps less so in Canada, but I know that there can be uh, perhaps a negative perception to lobbying. I think that's perhaps to some, it's mm -hmm. um, uh, people representing big tobacco and trying to get cigarettes in the hands of children, yeah. which is <laughs> <Yes>. which, <laughs> which is not which is not the case. I think there's a lot of of great companies, great associations that just want uh, to to be heard, to be listened to uh, uh, by government. I would say that. Uh, in the ideal world, you have a government who's trying to do its best, and you have associations that are also trying to do their best. And sometimes communication uh, is not always easy, uh, mm. and that's where that's what we're trying to facilitate. Uh, just a, a, a random example, for example, um, you have governments that perhaps have very ambitious um, climate goals. Um, and in order to meet those climate goals, sometimes they said very ambitious states, whether that's in uh, election platforms, for example. And right. then you can yes. have the industry uh, that may share the same goals, but may have very, very realistic hurdles uh, that could prevent them from meeting those goals if this isn't met or if that isn't met. So sometimes all they need is dialogue. Well, we share the same goal. We want to uh, reduce this or cut that. However, uh, we probably cannot do it and uh, by 2025. A more realistic target would be 2027 because of okay. this, because of X, Y, and Z, because of supply chains, because of this, because of that. Uh, so okay. sometimes it's just facilitating conversation so that the stakeholders and the government understand that the goals are shared. Uh, however, perhaps in some of the details, uh, further dialogue is needed for better uh, 
collaboration? Well, and the government just can't know everything, right? I mean, <laughs> I know they often can say that they do, or th people think that they think that they do, but the reality is it's important to share. So if someone wants to lobby the government, do they have to uh, like engage an organization such as Crestview? Can, I know that you've talked about having a strategy, but is this something that an organization could do on their own, particularly if they don't have the budget for engaging a GR firm? Uh, uh it is something that people can do <clears throat> on their own. I would always perhaps recommend uh, getting expert uh, advice and that can be in the shape of Crestview. There are a lot of companies that also have uh, government relations professionals in-house. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily okay. have to be a, 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 a big firm. Uh, and again, firms come in all different shapes and sizes and yeah. uh, engagement with firms uh, can also be uh, tailored um, uh, in terms of, uh, okay. you know, it can, it can be for a specific project. It can be long-term, it can be short-term, it can be stop and go right. uh, depending on, on, on different waves. So uh, there's, there's always flexibility uh, on, on that front, but it is something that organizations can do on their own um, if they're, if they're able to strategize and devise, uh, devise plans. Sometimes it's, it's just, it's, Fine. And perhaps this is something that you've seen yourself, Deidre. It can be a huge lift. <laughs> um, yes. And there are a lot of things that uh, happen within government. Um, a lot of deadlines that perhaps people are not aware of. A lot of um, yes. a lot of decision makers that perhaps people are not aware of because decisions are not only made by PMO and cabinet. Uh, depending mm -hmm. on your issue, you may have to engage with uh, people whose names are not as familiar to you as uh, Justin Trudeau or Christia Freeland. Um, right. So having all that knowledge is is necessary to have uh, an effective strategy. Uh, but of course, everyone uh, has the ability to uh, contact their local MP or contact um, ministers and, and try to engage that way as well. Uh, all emails and phone numbers are, are of public information. Um, but right. I, I would encourage uh, for an effective strategy. Uh, there are there are professionals that that do that uh, quite well, um, much like if you would like uh, uh, legal advice, I would always recommend going to a lawyer. To a lawyer. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I've been in experiences in the past where I, I, on behalf of my organization, have had to register as a lobbyist, even though I wasn't necessarily actively lobbying like like we are, for example, with SDAC. So, mm -hmm. so are there circumstances where that is necessary uh, that people need to know about? I mean, what is registering as a lobbyist and, how, and why and when do you do it? Mm -hmm. I'm hoping so, you have this knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so no, of, of course, compliance, <laughs> compliance is key. Compliance yeah. is, is key. I myself, as a uh, GR consultant, I am a registered uh, lobbyist. I am, for example, registered to lobby on behalf of the SDAC. Uh, and I uh, file my monthly communication reports on time each month. Uh, but uh, yes, in-house in uh, in uh, GR professionals, or sometimes those individuals may not even be GR professionals, but they do engage with government, uh, yes. sometimes may also have to um, uh, register as well. Um, I think there's a certain threshold. You'll excuse me for not knowing the exact uh, the yes, exact numbers, but I believe it. Yeah. Uh, if more than a certain percentage of your duties and responsibilities are are lobbying, then you would be uh, 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 you would need to to register. 
but I'm less okay. familiar with the with the non uh, uh, agency part of yes, the of uh, the lobbying act. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time read it up a little bit better before you start our <laughs> podcast. <will you? laughs> um, so our theme for this month of May, uh, IWSCC has a theme each month, and our marketing and our newsletter and blog and everything all fits within that theme. Um, and so for this month, it's research because we do have uh, a veteran research project we've been working on for some time. It it wound up getting delayed for a number of reasons over the past probably four or five months. Uh, but we're we're uh, releasing it in um, May. So when I started this organization, I realized that there was very little stats on uh, either veteran entrepreneurs in Canada or disabled entrepreneurs in Canada. And so determined that uh, when we got to the point in an organization as an organization where we could manage this, we would start that research. So our questionnaire goes out on the 24th of May, uh, and it has to do with everything to do with veteran entrepreneurs in Canada. We need that information so that we can track it. We can you know then improve upon it and when this project is done we'll be we'll be working on uh, the same thing for disabled entrepreneurs in Canada. So I don't want to take away from from the Brian show to talk about <laughs> that particular research project. Um, mm-hmm. But that is our theme for today. And so I wanted to know if there's a way that research fits into these lobbying types of circumstances. Like, do you use research when you're lobbying <clears throat> the government? Yes, 100 uh, percent. First, I've, I spoke a lot about strategy. Uh, research is part of that strategy. Uh, to have an effective government relations strategy, there's a lot of work, background work that needs to be done to identify, for example, government priorities uh, and to make try to align your goals, perhaps, with uh, government priorities. Some of the research may uh, uh, also allow you to tweak your messaging depending on your audience. Developing an effective strategy may mean that uh, you do not, um, in terms of your key messaging, uh, you may not speak to an Alberta MP the same way you would speak to an Ontario MP. You may not speak to okay. um, a conservative MP the same way that you would speak to a liberal MP. You may not speak to a, a rural rural MP the same way you would speak to an urban uh, MP in, in terms of the, their 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 writings. Uh, you may not speak to a, an elected official the same way that you would speak to a, a public servant much like you may not speak the same way uh, to a a member of parliament as you would speak to a senator. Um, So a lot of research is is required to uh, conduct an effective strategy. Uh, But in terms of some of the uh, type of research that you were describing prior, uh, that is also very important. Um, Obviously a huge role that people are not always aware of, of, committees, whether they be at the House of Commons and the Senate, is conducting reports. These reports, it's it's research. Uh, that's important because, I mean, uh, government is asked to do a lot. Uh, it, it And it does do a lot in many different fields. And uh, sometimes we can feel that government moves very slowly. And uh, perhaps it's the case on in, yeah. in certain instances. Uh, but that's because, uh, you know, they want to make sure that they are doing things right. Um, so that's why they have a lot of research. That's why there are a lot of consultations. It, it can be a quite a long process uh, to see change in, in, in legislation. Uh, so when you're able to approach a member of parliament with, with research, uh, with statistics that, that they're able to present 
uh, at a committee that they're able to present to their peers, that they're able to present to their working group, uh, their parliamentary caucus, cabinet. Um, you've then done a part of the job for them. Um, and that is very right. important. And it also solidifies your arguments because the, uh, I'm sure you can imagine that uh, whether it be MPs and certainly ministers, how many groups and, and associations and yes. stakeholders contact them um, uh, asking for this and for that or complaining about this and that. Uh, so I think the important thing is not just approaching government with uh, your concerns, but also approaching them with solutions. And the best solutions are always backed by uh, facts, data, science, and research. So that's why I would say that research is extremely uh, uh, important and, a, and a, a big piece of any effective government uh, relations strategy. So we're on the right track, putting together some numbers regarding veteran and disabled entrepreneurs. 100%. Well, I know every time you reach out to the SDAC crowd looking for research, I'm always like crickets back here in the IWSCC space because there just isn't very much out there. I mean, there's some, but there isn't very much. So, so in the questions that I gave you, I, I asked you, uh, you know, what is the right kind of research and, and, are, do, and why do some things not get research? It's a very vague kind of question. I realize that now as I'm reading it, so I apologize for that. But what are, what are things, I guess, how does someone determine if, if something is worth researching from, from a government perspective? Well, from your perspective, but as, as mm -hmm. a government may see it. Um. As, as you identified, it, it is possible to identify gaps. Uh, committees, both at the House of Commons and at the Senate and public servants will try their best to prepare reports uh, and conduct research, but there may be gaps uh, in their research. Uh, those gaps can uh, be there for many different reasons. Perhaps sometimes it's uh, having a blind spot. Uh, when it comes to the House of Commons, or uh, obviously it's a it's a political institution, so sometimes politics is a reason why uh, a certain term is left out or not researched, uh, because pol these committees are also sometimes I mean they 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 vote. You have to compromise, and sometimes compromise means certain things fall through the cracks. Uh, right. So sometimes in conducting research, the research that you can that you can conduct might be just that, uh, researching the things that fell through the cracks. Um, in addition to that, uh, governments and committees conduct uh, reports and, and research as much as they can, but uh, there, there are a lot of things happening, and that means that they're not uh, necessarily going to come out with a report on supplier diversity every year. Right. Uh, their last report could have been two parliaments ago, which could easily be three, four, five, six, you know, eight, nine years ago. Years and, ago yeah. and, yeah. and you would know that that information can then be very much outdated. So if you have governments uh, um, still perhaps using those that, that data, um, then it's outdated, uh, outdated data. Uh, so sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes uh, conducting research and or identifying what you should research uh, that's another way uh, to do it. Uh, is there something that uh, the government hasn't looked at in a while that should be refreshed? When the government is speaking about um, uh, our group, are they speaking it from uh, a reality, the reality of now? Or are they speaking about us uh, in the way we existed 10, 15 years ago? Or 
where they some issues are only being talked about now. So we've we've perhaps seen a lot of reports on diversity and inclusion, but it yes. never featured um, certain certain groups that we now include in in that in that in that group. Uh, so I, identifying your research is sometimes um, seeing those gaps, seeing those blind spots, and trying to trying to fill those gaps, um, and trying to, to 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 see what others perhaps um, can't see. So sometimes yeah. the, the research that you can do as a stakeholder, uh, of course, nothing prevents you from researching the same things that uh, government uh, uh, research, uh, but uh, sometimes you can attempt to complement that research, add to it, or um, add uh, additional lenses that perhaps they did not take into consideration. Uh, Because despite their best efforts, despite how many um, experts they can bring to the table, uh, it is possible that gaps can exist. Um, So it's up to it's up to us sometimes to try to identify those gaps and 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 help where we can. There you go. Yeah. Well, this is with our, our veteran research questionnaire, um, although it's not necessarily geared directly for the government, we, we're looking to do you know, some information for veterans, but also for our corporate members to better support, support veterans. But we did include questions about government procurement and whether or not they've been involved and what, you know, where their barriers and that type of thing, because I think it's important that the government uh, understand uh, if there are specific barriers to veterans uh, to doing business with the government, I think that's important for them to know. So mm-hmm. how do we make research sexy? I mean, you say research and everyone's like, you know, that's the one time you get a good night's sleep when someone's talking about research. How do we make it sexy? Uh, my answer, answer to that is to attach it to an end goal. Okay. Um, <laughs> attach it to an end goal. Uh, yeah. if, if necessary, see it as a means to an end. Um, okay. There, there, I would say once again, I would stress that it would be very difficult to achieve uh, your goals without any, uh, without research. Um, and if you see it that way, perhaps if it's, if the act of researching itself is not, uh, exhilarating to you, then, uh, see it as a, as a means to an end. Um, and when it comes to the work that, that we're doing, um, I know it's something that, uh, I am passionate about. Uh, because I think that it's important. I think it's an important piece. Well, I think it's a very important policy. Um, I think that it, it is Canada benefits when uh, we are all represented in the procurement um, in the procurement system. Um, yes. So and and when and I'm sure you are very much passionate about the issue as well. And all the other uh, founding members of the AC, SDAC are very much passionate. Uh, so it's a seeing research as a a, a vessel. And that's I, I would say that that's one way to to make it sexy. I think that once you achieve your goals and you're and you're happy um, that that has been uh, achieved, um, that the, the time that you exactly exactly achieving goals <laughs> achieving goals is sexy. There you go. So it, like you know I what I love it and I it's I have not it. thought about it. I've not thought about it that way. So uh, for me, it's you know it's. It's it, it's not really been my forte. I like to look into things, but I, I think if I were said, okay, Deidre, you have to spend the next 40 hours re- researching this one topic, I'd be like wandering off all the time online because mm-hmm. that's sort of how my brain works. Uh, so I'm mm-hmm. always really impressed with people who can buckle down and, and do the research. And of course, 
I'm not one of the people within IWSC <laughs> who's doing that, um, mm -hmm. but uh, you know we've contracted someone to do that. But that is great. So I, I have on here what are some uh, tips and tricks for lobbying the government. I think you've given us quite a few of them. Have a strategy uh, if you can procure an organization such as Crestview to help you out. Um, do your research on the people that you're talking to prior to the conversation with them, which is always great because Brian sends us a bio you know, a week or so <laughs> ahead of the meeting. So we've got some time to figure out who it is that we're talking to. Um, mm -hmm. Would there be any others that you would suggest? Um, uh, perhaps a, a couple. Uh, it's always good to, to set goals, um, um, not only short-term, medium-term, long-term goals, uh, but even when you go into a meeting, you should have uh, you should have goals. What do you want out of that meeting? What are you hoping to get out of that meeting? Is it a, uh, an introductory meeting? Is it a meeting where you're trying to uh, uh, convince, persuade, educate? I think uh, you should. It's always important to set goals because uh, once you've set goals, you're able to measure whether uh, you've been successful or or not in your in your engagement or whether that meeting was uh, truly worth the time or, or, or not or uh, what are the next mm -hmm. steps for example so um, know what your ask is like when you go in there know what that ask is and be solid with it yeah correct like it. correct and uh, in addition to that uh, being ready to adapt your message I mentioned mm -hmm. that uh, uh, earlier uh, you have to know who your audience is and knowing who your audience is may, is uh, not only knowing their political affi affiliations, uh, their their riding, their province, um, but also their their background. I mean, that's the reason why we send bios prior to meetings. It's uh, what in their how what are the are there links between some of their previous experiences, and 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 yes. and what experiences are they bringing in their role as as an MP? And there are three hundred and thirty eight MPs. They're all they all have different backgrounds. They all have different educational experiences, work experiences, and uh, sometimes if you're able to find connections there, uh, that's extremely important as well. So you have to be able to adapt your message and not uh, uh, not just have a, a, you know, it's important to set goals and have like two, three topics and ask or, or, or whatnot, but to be able to tailor that to your audience is, um, I would say, very important. I was just going to say, I, that's one of the things that I appreciate about getting those bios because I'm able to go, oh, this guy used to be a small business owner or he's, this one's particularly interested in vets or works in the area of accessibility or disability. So it allows Correct. me to, you know, to bring that topic up when, when we're meeting. Correct. And it, again, uh, when engaging with these individuals, perhaps it allows you to bring uh, up your your asks or your, your, your issues uh, in, in a different way or or mm -hmm. trojan horse your your problem in, yeah. a, in, in, a, in a different way so yeah if someone is a previous small business owner i'm sure that they would have uh quite a lot of previous knowledge on uh, at least procurement perhaps not uh supply diversity but it means that they know what procurement is and you can build from there others right. you may have to explain the procurement system perhaps a bit more than others um and if, if someone has military experience for example then uh, you're able to attack the issue from from a, from a different angle uh, so that all of that is is extremely important i guess it helps you too not to not to say to know who not to say anything negative about <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is that is also that is yeah. also yes very much important 
but uh, and again, when you're engaging with uh, uh, individuals from different political parties, that's another way that you can approach mm-hmm. the issue. Uh, members of the of the government, of course, follow instructions, whether it's ministers from their mandate letters or from uh, platforms. So th- those are their marching orders. So you obviously have to try to align uh, to that. And sometimes uh, when it comes to uh, other parties, perhaps your your messaging is slightly is slightly tweaked, perhaps. Uh, when speaking about uh, uh, supplier diversity, for example, if you're talking to a conservative uh, member of parliament, uh, perhaps uh, you, you, you present your case in terms of uh, the benefits of the economy, to the post-COVID right. economic recovery. Um, and so your, your, your message is, is the same. The way you're approaching it is, is, what's, is what's different. So this is not uh, completely remixing your message depending on who you speak to. It's making sure that uh, it is presented in a way that is very much palatable. That's great. That's, that's a lot to think about, but it all makes so much sense. Uh, and I can, I can see why you do such a great job for us. Because <laughs> you know what you're doing. So we're, we're getting down to the end, of, uh, the end of the podcast. And again, I just want to thank you for your time here. And, and it's really just you and I here. There's really no one else. So I wanted you to maybe, you know, lean in and give us some, some little <laughs> secrets or something. You know, without giving any names away, I'm interested to know if there's some experience or something that's happened, some, some goods on what's happened uh, uh, in the past that you were aware of? <laughs> I, uh, I think my uh, last piece of advice uh, <laughs> would be to understand that um, members of parliament are normal individuals that have uh, normal jobs, uh, that have bosses, that have superiors, uh, that have... Um, goals that they need to achieve to please their uh their their bosses uh so sometimes uh, when engaging with them i think another way to communicate with them is to for them to understand where the win could be for them uh you know sometimes it's about finding uh win-win uh solutions um when it comes to a minister for example their marching orders are in their uh, mandate letters Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, for example, advise everyone, if you're engaging with a minister, read their mandate letter. Uh, find out who their parliamentary secretary is as well. That's very important. But read the mandate letters. And then if you can uh, insert yourself in a mandate letter item, uh, you'll probably see that your message will be, uh, uh, will be welcomed with open arms. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's that's one way of uh, of of putting it. Read mandate letters, uh, read uh, platforms, understand people's goals, and understand that uh, they also have uh, deliverables on your end. The deliverables are not just a thing of uh, of uh, the, the private sector. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've moved on. <laughs> they've morphed into the public sector. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you being here today, and it's been lots of fun chatting with you. I, I knew it would be. Um, do you have any last little tidbit or anything that you want to share with us before before we end off the uh, podcast? I, I would congratulate the SDC on doing one thing that's very important. Uh, it's uh, uh, creating alliances is another very good good yes. thing in in french there's a saying uh, l'union fait la force uh the strength of many uh if you're able to unify many uh strong voices big voices in in different fields that represent different stakeholders uh you hold a different type of weight uh you can be seen as a as a strong partner to government because 
of the the wealth of expertise and and knowledge uh, that you bring to the table. So, to uh, so perhaps organizations that are uh, quite small that wish to engage with government, um, if they feel as though uh, alone their message their message is not being uh, received, or perhaps they feel as though they're not taken seriously, uh, then find other voices in your field with similar interests that you can. Um, you can align with. Uh, and then lastly, uh, understanding that uh, these things all take time and patience is key. Um, yes. uh, we've seen the ability of government to act very quickly. Uh, for example, during um, the height of the pandemic, we saw how quickly the government was able to pass legislation and, 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 and give out aid and, and, and whatnot. But that is the exception and not the rule. Uh, most things take time. Most programs take a lot of time. Most policy change come uh, come late. Uh, governments are more reactive than they are proactive. Uh, so they that means they're they're usually a little behind on on everything. Um, so whether it's wanting uh, a change in policy or uh, wanting to be a um, a partner to government, a stakeholder that they rely on. Uh, those things take time. Uh, so I would advise again, uh, patience is key. Patience is a virtue. I know it's, I know it's not always easy. And I know that sometimes on, on um, some issues can be very much pressing. Uh, sometimes for certain organizations, it can be, uh, uh, I mean, a question of life and death, uh, life or death, sorry. Uh, uh, and that is no exaggeration for certain companies. Mm-hmm. You know, a change in policy can mean, you know, bankruptcy. Um, yes. So I know that sometimes uh, patience is not always possible. Uh, but in most instances, I would always advise to uh, to be patient and and to to build on your relationships. Relationship building is another key point. Yes. Well, in fact, the SDAC is, uh, from my understanding, the only. Um, well, Canada is the only country that has something like the SDAC. A lot of times, the, in other countries, it's from out of here. They, those organizations are more siloed. So, um, you know, we, we don't always see everything eye to eye, but we do manage mm-hmm. to make it work. And, you know, with your help, we're making some great progress. So thank you again, Brian, for being here. Brian from Crestview has done such a great job uh, with the SDAC and also explaining some stuff today. I've, I've learned a lot. I want to thank everyone else for joining us. For more supplier diversity contact, make sure that you are uh, going to iwscc.ca. You can find us on YouTube. You can listen in on your favorite podcast platform to hear uh, more podcasts. We're going to be putting every uh, new episodes out every two weeks. So and lots going. We have lots of great themes scheduled for the rest of the year. So to be, sh- be sure to follow us on all of our social media, and we'll see you again in two weeks' time. Thank you. Thank you very much.